there just there just comes a point in your progression where every runner starts doing two a days, every swimmer starts doing two a days, every triathlete starts doing two a days, and the exception to that rule is cyclists. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast Powered by Edition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Saban, and this week we're talking about the Norwegian training protocols, how to periodize your training for Unbound, and tips for switching from a sweet spot training program to one that follows a more polarized approach. Today's show is also brought to you by Flow Formulas. Most athletes right now are well into their base training this time of year, which makes for a great opportunity to get a jump start on your on-the-bike nutrition optimization. So head over to flowformulas.com to look through their suite of offerings and use the discount code MATCHBOX when checking out. As always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. And if you have any questions for the show, you can drop us an email at matchboxpod at gmail.com with email title of the Matchbox Podcast, or you can head over to ignitioncoachco.com and fill out the Matchbox Podcast listener question form. All right, let's get into it. All right. Uh, okay, we got first question this week comes in from Ben, and Ben is our resident math teacher. Uh, hey, Ignition Crew, in light of Dylan's latest video on the Norwegian method, have any of you tried double threshold days in your own training? Mm. If so, what did that look like and how did it go? If not, how do you think you would structure those workouts? Similar intervals for both workouts, one interval, one with longer intervals, and then one with more broken up into shorter intervals. Just curious to hear your thoughts. Thanks, Ben. Oh, this was cool because it was it's really relevant to your latest video, but it's also um you know it's 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 an interesting take sure. on on how to you know structure your training. Yeah. I really should have I really should have finished watching that video. I only watched the first <laughs> I only watched the first two minutes. And then I told okay. myself I was gonna finish watching it. And then Dylan said, Man, that kills the algorithm. So then I was like all right, I'm not going to watch the rest of it. Just to mess I don't with it. I don't even algorithm. think there's any information in the first two minutes. It's just all intro. Yeah. Uh, that's fine. So I, okay. I have no idea what he's talking about. Uh, well, <laughs> well, most let's assume most people listening haven't watched it. Yeah, 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 give so us a quick rundown. There's probably plenty of people who haven't watched it. Basically, what this guy is talking about is what I talked about in my video where these Norwegians runners and triathletes are doing double threshold days, which means they are doing a threshold, not threshold meaning riding at FTP, but this is actually threshold meaning more sweet spot or tempo because when researchers talk about threshold, they're talking about between the two lactate turn points. So this would be zone two in the three zone model. So a tempo or sweet spot workout. They are doing double threshold days meaning that they are doing a threshold interval session in the morning and a threshold interval session in the afternoon. Um, so, and the reason why they're doing that is because they are clustering or blocking all of their hard training together instead of spreading it out more evenly throughout the week, which is what you see a lot of sweet spot base plans do. They just have you do sweet spot every single day as opposed to having one day that is the sweet spot interval day and then the rest is zone two or two days that's the sweet spot day and then the rest is zone two um which i would argue is a preferable way to organize your training and the norwegians agree because they have days that are nothing but but uh easy training or endurance zone or zone two in the five zone model um and then they've got these double threshold days so what I'll say about that is that 
running and triathlon and honestly any endurance sport other than cycling is a little bit different from cycling in that there gets once you get to a certain level in that sport you start doing two a days there just there just comes a point in your progression where every runner starts doing two a days every swimmer starts doing two a days every triathlete starts doing two a days and the exception to that rule is cyclists cyclists sometimes cyclists do two a days but a lot of times cyclists when they progress they don't start doing two a days they just start riding longer and there may be some reasons for that i think probably the most obvious is that you can actually cycle for long periods of time without overtraining and injuring yourself unlike with running or some of these other sports so instead of elite cyclists doing two two hour workouts in a day they just ride four hours straight. Um, that's pretty common. And so if you were to apply this kind of double threshold day approach to cycling, which could could be a reasonable experiment to try, um, you could actually try splitting up the two workouts, or you could just try doing what a lot of coaches already recommend, which is having um, one long ride with some intervals at the beginning and some intervals at the end. And those, those interval, this is usually kind of like a race specific workout. If you're training for long races where you've got some intensity at the beginning and intensity at the end. Um, but I, I would almost argue that that's a more cycling specific way to apply double threshold days to cyclists. Yes. So I think, you know, for the majority of our listeners, I'm assuming don't have four hours a day to train just mm-hmm. because they're living other normal lives. So that's where I could see this being applicable in some cases where you basically treat their cycling as if they're a runner because they it's not that they can't physically do a super long workout. It's just that they don't have that they, they're time constrained. Mm-hmm. So in, in that case, Dylan, would you like would you ever recommend trying this approach where you do a threshold workout or, you know, I guess what we'd call like a tempo workout in the morning and then do a, another follow-up tempo session in the evening and block that as like your intensity day. Yeah, certainly. I think that to do a double threshold day, you have to be a high-level athlete. Like I would not ever prescribe a double threshold day to a beginner or even an intermediate. It, it'd probably have to be an advanced-level athlete to even – attempt this, but I could, I, I've never, I've never personally prescribed a double threshold day because usually athletes at that level, they actually do block out four hour periods to train, but there, there are exceptions to that rule, right? I mean, there are elite, elite level athletes that have full-time jobs. So I could see a scenario where this might be prescribed. I'm going to do it today. Yeah. I'm just going to do two. I'm just going to do two Tim Park workouts today. Yep. Yep. That's it. I'm convinced. (laughs) Yeah. So I mean, I, I've mentioned this, I'm, I'm kind of in this stage where I'm like experimenting with new things just because I can, and I don't have as much, as much specificity around goals this year. Mm-hmm. And this is something that's actually kind of interesting to me. Like after watching your video, I was like, Oh, I could, I, that might be something I put on my list of things to try at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll probably wait until I get into like right now I'm in a VO2 max phase. Yeah. I'll probably wait until I'm in. Like, I don't think I would do two VO2 max workouts in a day. Uh, yes. I could maybe see doing like a tempo day, like a tempo and VO2 mm-hmm. max and two separate workouts. But I think two VO2 max workouts in a day would be too much. Yes. So, so um, that that's actually important that you brought that up. Um, 
they the Norwegians only do two intensity sessions in a day if it's one of these threshold days. And again, when they say threshold in cyclist language, they're talking about tempo or sweet spot workouts. And then if they ever yeah. do a higher intensity workout than that, that is their only intensity workout of the day. They might do another easy run later in the day or the same day. Like they might still have two runs that day, but one is the intensity and the other is an easy workout. So I, yeah, I don't, right. I don't even think it would necessarily, I don't even think it would be possible to do two VO2 max workouts that are actually adequate intensity in one day. Like, I think your second VO2 max right. session, you just wouldn't be hitting the <clears throat> VO2 max zone. I changed my mind. I'm going to do two VO2 yeah. workouts today just to prove Dylan wrong. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, I mean, and, and it might be something you could do once, but are you going to be able to do that sustainably throughout a eight-week training block? Probably not. You know, or if you get through it, you're probably going to be smoked. And mm. Are you just trying to challenge is gonna be- I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to do this. <laughs> Let's go, man. Let's go. Actually, that doesn't even sound appealing. Two VO2 workouts. Yeah, so Damn, that would be rough. I, I think I think what you touched on there, though, is important, Dylan, because I'm imagining a lot of people watching your video thinking like, oh, this is a better way to train. I'm just going to start doing two threshold days. One, you know, denoting the fact that threshold is different. The way that they're talking about threshold is different. Mm-hmm. You know, we're actually talking more about sub threshold. Uh, but two, you're talking about elite, elite level athletes. I mean, these aren't even just like your average pros. These are like, you know, right. these are the best of the best. Yeah. These are elite. And they're, elite they're training. I will say that their training volume is insane. I mean, even amongst elite level triathletes, they have a higher training volume than them. Um, I think, I think I heard that Christian trained uh, over 1,300 hours. Uh, when he won, um, like probably the Olympic distance triathlon or something, or maybe maybe it was when they were training for Ironmans because Ironmans are a longer distance. I don't I don't know to be honest, but that is an insane amount of training. So I mean, that's an average of four hours a day. Yeah, right, exactly. So <laughs> every, every day, every single day. Year. Yeah. So <laughs> this this. Uh, I, also, when people hear that they are doing this amount of intensity, I think some of them may think like that doesn't even sound like polarized or pyramidal training because that's so much intensity. But if actually, if you look at it in the context of their week, it is polarized or pyramidal or it's it's pyramidal, right? It's not polarized. It's pyramidal because there is so much volume of low intensity work that they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, interesting interesting you know conversation but be very cautious with trying this at home it makes me think of um i get into this really bad mindset or i have in the past of like this all or nothing thinking you know like uh Mm -hmm. you know for example on the days that my wife works and i'm home with our daughter it's like i can only get chunks of workouts in i can't get out for a four-hour ride um so it's like i'm either working out in the morning or during her nap time so like a maximum of two hours if she has a good nap um and a lot of times i'm like ah, like what good is a 90 to two hour workout when i should be doing like a four-hour ride um so like hearing you guys talk about this norwegian of like splitting workouts i think is a remedy to that like maybe you try to you know i i would also say that two hours is better than nothing but if you're really like dedicated and you want to get, you know, I think there's on in situations like that, it, yeah, it makes sense that maybe you can split the ride into two 
And oftentimes my, I don't think that way. I'm like, oh, if I can't do four hours, then what's the point? You know? So, you know, I don't know. That's a bad way to, what I'm saying is that's a bad way to think this whole like all or nothing training mentality. Um, (laughs) You know, it's funny that you, you're like, oh man, if I only have 90 minutes, is that even worth it? That's a lot of people's just normal ride. And if, and they're, they're on the, (laughs) they're on the spectrum where they're saying, oh, if I only have 45 minutes, that's not even worth it. Right. I would argue yeah. that it's it's worth it for both of you guys to get right. in as much volume as you can, even if it's in chunks. But like 90 right, minutes yeah. to two hours, that's like a decent ride for most people. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 I, I've been doing two or even three a days pretty much exclusively for the last six weeks, probably just because I don't have as much. I don't have as much time in one block mm-hmm. to train. It's not that I don't have three hours throughout the day that I can dedicate to training. It's just, it's not, it doesn't seem to be landing all in one block. So like this morning I rode, rode the rowing machine for 20 minutes and I was like, all right, got 20 minutes in the day last night, cross country ski for an hour and a half after this podcast. And then I'm going to do probably a half hour run a little bit later, you know? So it's like, I'll get two hours of training in today, two and a half hours of training, but it's not all going to come at one time. And if I had that mentality, Drew, like I probably just wouldn't have trained at all the last six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which would be terrible. Like that'd be right, way worse. Right. <laughs> yeah. All these little things add up, you know, like that's, that's important sure. to keep in mind. Yeah. I mean, you do have to keep in mind, like what is actually adding value versus just creating fatigue, unnecessary fatigue. But as long as it's quality and you can quantify that it's, it's contributing towards improving your overall volume and aerobic capacity like you know you don't want to like like i didn't do 20 minutes of like max efforts on the rowing machine i just did 20 minutes of like base you know zone two rowing yeah you know not trying to kill myself just trying to contribute to the overall base Mm -hmm. okay uh we got another question here this one comes from marcio and he wants to know how he should periodize his training specifically for the unbound 100 this year uh, we raced in the one bound, unbound 100 this year and would like some advice on periodization. How many weeks before the race do I need to transition into my race specific training? My idea is to have at least six weeks of, oh no, at least six 100 mile long rides. A couple of them may be on race pace uh, prior to the race. As of January 1st, I'm entering my third week of weight, well, weight strength training, just call it strength training, uh, with five hours of bike riding per week. I am in Michigan and usually save my longer rides for the spring, but I will do whatever is necessary, even if that means I have to spend five hours on the trainer. Thanks, Marcio. Don't do that. Don't spend five hours on the trainer. That's my first <laughs> tip. Don't Especially do that. if you're riding five hours a week right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that okay. Would be miserable. Yeah. Uh, so I uh, forgive me if this is if this is wrong, Marcio, but I'm assuming that this is a, that you're just trying to finish the race. Probably this is a, this is a person trying to finish de- like not, not finish as slow as possible, but just the, they, they want to do as best as they can at unbound. That okay. may not necessarily mean winning unbound 100, but sure. they would like to do as good as they can with yeah, what yeah, they've yeah. got. I mean, if he's going to do six, 100 mile rods before the fact, I think he's wanting to get a good time. Like, He's not going yeah. to win, but I don't think he's just going to finish either. Or he, okay. I think people who are just going to finish wouldn't do six 100 mile rides. Right. Before. Like he's not entering. I, I, I doubt he's going into the race questioning whether or not he can finish. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. 
which the Unbound 200, there are lots of people who go in unsure of whether or not they can do it. I'm sure. questioning. Yeah, I'm in that boat. I'm in <laughs> Drew, right you, there. Drew, you yeah. can absolutely, <laughs> Drew, you can absolutely do it. You could have done I'm it the for first one. Time. You could have done it the first time if you just hung out a little bit and let yourself, you know. I wonder, I, there should be a, like, I must, I, I'm probably, I made it probably further than anybody else. Like I was probably closest to the finish line when I quit. I don't know if anybody else yeah, would you have were, quit in the last 20 miles. You were probably, At that point, you might as well finish. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> honestly, I don't know anyone else who would have gotten that close. Why? This is so yeah, off topic. I know. Why did I know. you, why did you quit 20 miles from the finish? I was that miserable. Like I was that miserable that I was like, I just don't want to do this anymore. And my legs were cramped. I've never like cramped. And like that day I cramped so bad one time, probably from dehydration because it was one of the super hot years. Uh, And like my brain was telling my right quad to keep pedaling and it would like it stopped like it it just Mm -hmm. locked up. And I was like, what the heck? Like it was like it just wasn't working. And I was like, this is stupid. And so then I pulled over and just sat on the side of the road. Yeah, looking back on it, I don't I'm not proud of that. I wish I had finished. I could have just taken a nap and then finished, but yeah. Then you wouldn't have to do it this year. You know, you, you want to you want to no, hear I'm something. It the the <laughs> the best unbound placing that I've ever gotten was the first time I did it. Obviously, because the level of competition was so much lower back in 2018 or whatever, wherever it was. Um, but that year, I felt so bad at mile 150 or whatever that I there was a farmer handing out cold drinks and i sat on that farmer's lawn for probably 15 minutes i didn't move (laughs) anywhere for 15 minutes and i still got a top 10 (laughs) nice that was the year that i quit (laughs) i could have just hung out with you in the farmer's front yard all right back to the back to the question (laughs) um okay so you know, I depending on I depending on what fitness level this person is at, I don't even necessarily know that they need to do a hundred miles six times. Although I think that that's a decent goal to have. I I would say that you don't necessarily need to do that in order to finish unbound well. But if you just enjoy riding hundred mile rides and you want to and you have a goal of doing that six times before the race, I wouldn't necessarily do those at race pace. But I I I think that's probably a fine goal to have. Um, as far as when, when to transition to the specific question is when to transition to the race phase of training. Yeah. Just, yeah. Periodization in general, but yeah. When to transition into more race specific work. Yeah. I usually like to have three months of base training if that's possible. Uh, a two month build. And then I usually that two month build is going into the race season. And if it's just one race, then I would probably say that that last month, you could either do a two month or a three month build. Sometimes I feel like building for longer is not necessarily better like people would assume. Um, So a two month build is probably fine. And then you could probably call that last month of building your race specific phase where you're doing very race specific workouts. Yeah. So the Unbound 100 is a little bit different than the Unbound 200, Mm -hmm. obviously, because it's half the distance. So how would you change your race-specific work for an athlete that's doing the Unbound 100 as opposed to the 200? Yeah. So I think that that probably... 
although you're correct in that it's half the distance, but I would I would say that it's it's a similar effort just at a high a slightly higher intensity. So you know sure. maybe instead of a focus, it's it it may be as simple as like instead of a focus on tempo workouts as your race specific, maybe it's sweet spot like it's just a little bit higher intensity. Um, trying to anticipate the intensity that you're going to be at during the unbound 100, it's still it's still going to be a fairly relatively steady effort for a mass start race. Um, for whatever reason, unbound just in general is is even though it's mass start, it's a it's a relatively steady effort compared to other gravel races. Um, I've never raced the 100, so m- maybe that's completely wrong. In the 100, maybe people are sprinting off the front. Uh, all over the place in the 100 although i kind of yeah in the in the 200 i mean people uh you know are a little more humbled yeah people right i mean people anticipate the distance and don't do crazy attacks in the 200 generally uh or yeah yeah uh maybe the 100 is different maybe the 100 actually is like a standard 100 mile gravel race where there are high intensity attacks um in which case you might need to prepare for that. Um, honestly, I haven't looked at the, it, it, it depends on what this person's goal is, right? Whether they're, if, if you're trying to win the race, I guess I, I would need to look at the power file of somebody who has been in the front group of the unbound 100 to see what that intensity looks like. Um, but I would say for most people doing the race, it's, it's going to be a fairly steady effort and sure. and tempo and sweet spot workouts are still going to be the core of the race specific intensity kind of just like they would be with the unbound 200. You may just want to do them at a slightly higher intensity. So maybe in, for example, instead of tempo, you're doing sweet spot. Yeah. Sure. That's what I was going to say was like, either way, the primary focus should be tempo. Like the more accustomed he gets to just riding in his tempo zone, the better. Um, so he should be doing like really, especially throughout that base phase, he should be doing a lot of, long steady efforts at tempo because if you look at if you look at these guys is in the 100 or the 200 i mean their their intensity factor at the end of the ride although that's sporadic throughout the whole ride always falls somewhere in that tempo zone like 0.75 to 0.8 range yeah sure yeah and i mean i personally with with my athletes that are doing uh i don't know if i've yeah, I guess I have coached someone to the Unbound 100 as well. But, you know, the athletes that I'm coaching for the Unbound 200 or for any of these other longer gravel races, and I'd still consider 100 miles long enough. You know, I mean, that's that's still a long gravel race like you're talking about, Dylan. I, I like to make sure I incorporate some kind of like over-under into some of the tempo, mm-hmm. you know, build structure. Just because when you're out there training on your own and you're just riding at tempo... Uh, you can actually get really good at riding very steadily and not really going over threshold of a whole lot. But once you get into the race, like it just changes. You know, when you're around other people, you're you're amped up. You're probably on, you know, have more caffeine in your system. You've got more adrenaline mm-hmm. pumping. Uh, everything just changes a little bit. And if you're not used to what it feels like to, you know, to punch over threshold, settle back in. If your body's not used to having to recover after some of those efforts, I, I just, I get a little nervous. So even though you really shouldn't do that, like you shouldn't go into unbound with the intention of like, I'm going to jam up this hill and then coast on the other side or ride tempo down the other side. Like you should still try to pace it evenly. Uh, I still like to make sure there's a little bit of that familiarity in their training, uh, mm-hmm. just so it's not a shock to the system and you end up with double locked up legs like Drew did <laughs> at his unbound attempt. You know, yeah. it's like, 
Um, so, so I usually, I usually incorporate a little bit of work, but I'm, we're not doing like, not talking about doing crazy VO2 max or, you know, 3030s, like anaerobic work, anything like that. I mean, we're, we're talking about, you know, true over unders where we're, we're punching above threshold, but then we're trying to settle back in. Yeah. I think one word that you just stood out that you said that stood out to me was literally like the word humble. Like that is the reason mm-hmm. I didn't finish the unbound 200 back those days. Cause I went into it way too prideful. Like I went in there thinking, Oh, like I'm some hot shot rookie and I've never done this race before, but I'm going to show these guys who I am. And then I don't even finish because I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't humble. Like on the start line, my expectations were so much higher than what they should have been. And I think you do have to, you know, get yourself a, a big slice of humble pie going into that event specifically because it does demand so much. Yeah. I mean, just like a lot of big mountain excursions or, you know, basically just any really big challenging task, like you just have to respect it for what mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to know what it is. You have to expect what's going in, but then you also have to respect the demands because as soon as you let your guard down, then that's when it's going to come up and you know bite you. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. You guys want to do one more, or you want to knock it off there? Mm, okay, we can one. do one more. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's see. Uh, this one comes in from Keith. I've got very little time, a little talent, and a lot of love for the bike. For years, I've done a version of Hunter Allen's sweet spot heavy training plan. I'm ready to make the move to switch to a more polarized plan, but sweet spot has treated me well, and I would like to combine them. If I do five days a week, let's call it eight to ten hours, that would mean one day is sweet spot intervals and the other other four days are endurance rides. Would one sweet spot day be effective? Do I still do an FTP test every four weeks. I would give you more information, but I don't want to be another 50 year old boring DJ with unimpressive stats. Uh, <laughs> nice. There we go. And they talk about needing uh, some, a some lot of people, a lot of people have been giving me crap about, uh, me, your AARP <laughs> comments. Yeah. I, I don't think, I don't think anyone was offend, offended by it. Um, no, people think, were definitely, offended. I think people, that was an people, offensive thing. <laughs> You people said have a, something <laughs> offensive. <laughs> it wasn't that offensive. It was in. It was in. Yeah. It was in. It, it was honest. in humor. You know. I honestly, my yeah. my dad does the same thing, but he doesn't do it on the internet. He'll just call me and he'll tell me his stats <laughs> over the phone. So nice. And I love my dad. So there you go. You just made up for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was good. Um. Uh. So yeah. So what Keith is getting at here, it sounds like. Uh, sounds like Keith's training in the past has been very sweet spot focused mm-hmm. and now he's looking to get into making this he says making the switch to a more polarized approach yeah but he's still he still likes sweet spot like he you know doesn't sound like he's had any major issues with his sweet spot training which is good mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like he's run into like the burnout that's very typical with a heavy spe- sweet spot training plan um even at i mean eight to ten hours is not an inadequate amount of volume. I mean, that's, that's a significant amount of volume. So sure. it's good that that hasn't happened, but you know, Keith wants to, yeah, maybe combine the two. Is that, is that a good approach? Yeah, I mean, it's, How it sounds like that? he's talking about pyramidal training. You know, he didn't mention pyramidal training in the question, but that sounds exactly like what he's talking about. Um, uh, I think that we probably already addressed it earlier in the show, but pyramidal training is similar to polarized training in that you're, doing the vast majority of your training time 
uh, at a relatively easy intensity, what a lot of people refer to as zone two. But then instead of avoiding tempo and sweet spot zones, you actually do a, a bit of your training in that zone. And then you do a even smaller proportion above FTP. So if you were to apply this to your training, um, I think probably early in the base phase, you may do only one sweet spot workout a week, but I think later in the base phase and then kind of in the run up to racing, depending on what kind of racing you're doing, uh, you may want to do two a week. So, yeah. So, but part of there, there's, there's a third aspect of pyramidal, right? It's not just, you know, call it on the three zone miles, not just zone one and zone two, mm-hmm. right? There's also zone three work. Right. And I think that's part of where he's getting at is it sounds like Keith hasn't really done any zone three work or, you know, what we would consider to be super threshold work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, where, I mean, and, and Keith doesn't give us a whole lot as far as like what his goals are or what racing he's even doing or when some of the races, like when his race season starts. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious what your thoughts are, you know, since he says sweet spot has treated me well, and I'd like to combine them. What are your thoughts on, actually combining them into a training block versus doing those, those, you know, hitting those two different zones, you know, the, the tempo or sweet spot zone, and then this, you know, above threshold work doing those in separate blocks. Um, yeah, I, I, I usually throw a bit, it, it, dep- it depends on what time of the year we're talking about. Honestly, mm-hmm. even in the base phase, I will often throw maintenance intensity, like a maintenance VO two max session in mid base season those are not very frequent. They might be one a month or maybe two workouts total over the entire base three month base season. Um, so I could see that. And that, that's a very small amount of zone three in the three zone model over the course of the base season. But then when we get into the build phase, depending on what kind of racing you're doing, that would probably increase. Like instead of doing two sweet spot sessions in a week, you'd probably knock out one of those sweet spot sessions and replace that with a VO2 max session or a 30-30 session. Um, yeah. And I talked about this study in my last video, but they've done... It was an interesting study on runners where they had a group do polarize the entire time. Uh, I think it was a 16-week study period. Polarize for the whole 16 weeks, pyramidal for the whole 16 weeks, eight weeks of polarized, then switch to pyramidal for eight weeks, and then eight weeks of pyramidal switch to polarized for the last eight weeks. Um, and of those four different... So four different cohorts, you're exactly. And of, those, of okay. those four, the group that saw the, the greatest fitness gains was the group that started with pyramidal and ended with polarized, which is kind of what you would assume based off of how coaches already prescribed workouts. I mean... Training already yeah. kind of gets more polarized as you approach racing anyway. So I, if you're going to combine the two, that's, that's kind of what I would do. I would make your training more polarized as you approach the season or approach racing and more pyramidal uh, and more sweet spot heavy in the, in the base period. Sure. Yeah. And, and one thing I was going to add here, <laughs> since, you know, Keith's coming off of doing a ton of tempo or sweet spot work prior to this without very much work above threshold Mm -hmm. uh i would and and i don't i don't know if keith is actually 50 or if he just you know lumps himself into the 50 year old guys that are boring dj with unimpressive stats um but you know let's assume you're above that age and in that demographic 
I would be careful when you transition into doing those some of those harder intensity sessions. I wouldn't be worried about I I wouldn't be opposed to stripping out the second intensity session once you start doing above threshold work. And the reason I say that is because one it's you know unfamiliar territory for you. Like sure you're used to doing that maybe in races. Um but you know if you're not used to doing that kind of training that's super hard you know, feels like each interval is like, you know, a max effort. Uh, if you're not used to that, like those sessions can be pretty draining. So to like throw that on top of a hard sweet spot session that you did earlier in the week, or to try and do two of those VO2 max sessions in a week when you're first starting, it could be problematic. You know, you might get through a couple weeks of it, but like we talked about earlier, like, is it going to be sustainable for an eight week training block? It's hard to say. So I would just be cautious with, you know, when you get into that and don't, you know, don't, force yourself to get through it if it's you know if if you're hitting a ton of resistance with that if you're if you're feeling fatigued for multiple days afterwards uh you know it's probably a sign that those workouts are maybe hitting your system a little harder than you were prepared for so you know maybe you switch to doing three intensity sessions over two weeks instead of four yeah one of my favorite things to do as far as like kind of this whole pyramidal to polarized and what you how to get intensity in during the base season is um I sprinkle. I like to sprinkle in uh, intensity. So what I mean by that is like I mix tempo with VO2 and I mix sprints with tempo. Uh, And a lot of that has to do with like what what Adam was saying earlier in the episode of like when you're in a race, sometimes you don't get to do a steady effort. You do have to go over your threshold and then go back to your tempo. And so some of those workouts help you to get a little bit more familiar with like, oh, I'm going to have to do maybe... Like one of my favorite workouts is a tempo with sprints. And so like every three minutes, I sprint for 15 seconds. But then if you look at that workout, if I did a three by 15, like 40 minutes of it is is tempo and like less than five minutes is actually sprinting, you know, so like the large majority of the workout is still tempo, but I'm mixing in some high intensity. Um, So that's a good way to like kind of get a pyramidal and to mix in some intensity throughout the base season as well. Sure. And those workouts are more fun, like a 20 minute tempo. Like, come on, that's not, there's that. It's just not that much fun you do some sprints in there. <laughs> it just spices it up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like sometimes like what I'll do if, you know, if I've got one of those longer tempo sessions, one, sometimes what I do is I get a little impatient instead of doing like three by 20, I'll just do like 60 minutes of straight tempo just cause I'm like, I don't, why am I going to stop? Like, I'm just going <laughs> to keep going. Um, or I like to like pick a destination, you know, so like instead of mm. instead of just looking for 20 minutes, it's like maybe I'll call it 18 to 25 minutes, but I'm going to like try and get to here. And when I get to there, like whatever, for, for me, it's super easy because our roads are on a grid system. Mm. So like every single mile is like a new street is like 271st, 272nd and so on, you know, so I'll be like, all right, I'm going to do tempo from now until I hit, you know, 284. And then once I hit 284, I'm going to stop. And it just like, I don't know, to me, it helps. You can you can kind of trick yourself into the same thing with time, but time is just so much easier to just look down and be like, oh, it's only been another 30 seconds. Whereas like each of those mile markers for me, you know, or if I go out to do like, we've got a, a one mile, it's like a kind of like a parking lot, but it's like a, it's a paved loop around soccer fields. And I'll do like, I'm going to do 20 laps today, you know, and that, and that's, it's, it, you just have to figure out ways. That, I don't know. I think Drew, you've talked about is like chunking. Mm-hmm um figure out ways to like yeah, chunk, chunk things up yeah, but yeah i definitely agree like adding in some sprints or like over unders 
it like automatically chunks that that session. Mm-hmm. So I, I I like that a lot. That approach that you're talking about. Sweet. Uh, sweet. Well, let's uh, let's cut it there. That was that was good. I like that discussion. Cool. All right. See you yeah. guys. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to matchboxpod at gmail.com with email title, the Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn more about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch you all soon. Let's go! Do you feel undertrained, overtrained, burnt out, or just plain unmotivated to complete workouts? We understand, and we want to help. Cookie cutter training plans just don't get the job done like a real life coach. A training plan can't adjust when things go sideways, and a training plan doesn't hold you accountable when you slack off. A training plan can't motivate you before a big race. Only a coach can do these things. Get the most out of yourself with coaching that works. Sign up for a free consultation with an ignition coach today and let's get to work.